3: Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, November 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, if you can't take the heat, be alert in the kitchen. Find out safety tips state officials suggest to reduce house fires this Thanksgiving. Then hear from an education official on what federal funding for community learning centers means for the state's youth. And it's a right place, right time kind of life for an inseparable Mississippi couple. More in our story course segment. Plus, an organization dedicated to helping the less fortunate is beginning early with hopes of reaching the fundraising goal it missed last year, how you can help. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. officials are asking Mississippians to remain alert while cooking and warming their homes this Thanksgiving. Mississippi leads the nation in house fire deaths. Nationally, three times as many cooking fires occur on Thanksgiving Day than any other day of the year, according to the National Fire Protection Association. Commissioner of Insurance and State Fire Marshal Mike Cheney says the chance for house fires can be greatly reduced by recognizing the risks of the holidays and making simple adjustments. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood recommended precautions.
2: But the National Fire Association says that more fires occur on Thanksgiving than any other day of the year due to the cooking that takes place in most homes on Thanksgiving. And that's true in Mississippi also.
4: Why do you want Mississippians to take better precaution or more precaution while cooking?
2: We in Mississippi have been trying to reduce fire deaths and, and burns for a long time. And one of the ways that we do that is by educating the public and letting them know that Thanksgiving is a good day. To practice fire safety that includes staying by your fan in the kitchen don't fry a grill uh, and leave the kitchen be there in case there's a fire if you're sleeping it up in the morning don't try to immediately start trying to cook be alert when you cook if you uh, wear loose clothing especially in the morning like a bathrobe be very careful because that's usually where a fire can start uh, on you personally catching on fire with loose loose clothing and if you've got children around in the morning, be very careful with children. Uh, you want a kind of a kid-free zone, at least three feet away from the oven and, the, and the, any open flame in the kitchen. So, and you keep your kitchen clean and not cluttered. And if you do have a fire, get out and stay out. Don't stay in a house that catches on fire. Call 911 if you can. If you have a cell phone with you, if not, get a neighbor or somebody to call. Don't go back in the house and try to call. And keep a lid by your kitchen stove. I'm talking about a, a cookie tin that you can put over a grease fire if you have a fire. It works a lot better than anything else in the kitchen. Don't try to put water on a fire. It'll just spread it. Put a cookie tin on it. Smother it out.
4: If a fire does occur, uh, what's the relationship between your office and the fire departments in terms of responding to those fires during this time of year?
2: If there's a mysterious fire, the state fire marshal's office is it's often called in to investigate how a fire starts. Uh, we usually leave the publication of how the fire started up to the local authorities. We very seldom put out a press release ourselves at the state fire marshal's office. But we work very closely with the local fire departments and the local fire marshals uh, to help them if there is a fire. But our goal is to prevent fires, and that's the same goal that local fire protection officers and fire departments have also.
4: Could you kind of speak a little bit on um, now that we're seeing cooler temperatures, any advice on staying safe while keeping warm using our heaters and things of that nature in our homes?
2: If you're using a heater in a home, don't use an extension cord. They're not designed to run a heater. Don't wear loose clothing. If you've got a heater with an open flame in it, especially one that's got a heating element that glows and you can see it or touch it, uh, that's very dangerous. If you're around a gas heater in a home or a propane heater, be very careful not to get too close with loose clothing. That's usually where somebody gets burned. If you have propane, get it inspected to be sure there's no leaks. It's very explosive if uh, you try to do the work yourself. We had a man that uh, was working on his own propane tank. and wouldn't call the fire department, and it blew his house and everything on a one-half-acre track to pieces. It was nothing left. So we we tell folks, call the right authorities if you suspect you've got a leak. Be very careful around low open flames. And always, always be careful if you have clothing or elderly in the house.
4: Is there anything else you would like to add to that, Commissioner?
2: Well, I want to say that again. Be very careful if you have loose clothing on, and especially if it's elderly in the house, and have the loose clothing on. The other things that we would say to you is if you have an open flame, put a fire guard around it. You can buy those at a local hardware store. If you want to save a life and give a gift of life to someone, go buy a smoke alarm. It's less than $20, and it could save someone's life. In all the fire and deaths and burns that we have in the state, 75% of those people that are burned or injured or die in a fire have no working smoke alarm. Buy a smoke alarm. Give a gift of life.
4: Thank you so much, Commissioner. You're welcome. Have Thank a you good have one.
3: Lieutenant Marcus Rounzeville is with the Jackson Fire Department. He tells our Ashley Norwood a beeping sound means smoke detectors should be checked.:
5: There are a lot of homes that don't have working smoke detectors, and it's not that they don't work. that battery might just be low, but no one knows how to go in and change the battery or how to even check them when all you have to do is just get a chair or a ladder and just push the button in the middle and wait for it to beep and if it beeps it works. But then it also lets you know if it's not working when you hear that constant beep and it gets people annoyed and that's why they don't want to hear it. So then they'll just take the smoke detector down or they'll take the battery out. Like all you have to do is change the battery and then you won't hear the beeping anymore and it can save your life.
3: All right. Thank you.
5: Happy holidays.
3: Fire officials say should a fire break out in your home, have an emergency evacuation plan and a designated meeting place for all family members. Coming up, hear from an education official on what federal funding for community learning centers means for the state's youth. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Nearly 40 community learning centers in Mississippi could receive a boost of federal funding for their programs. The Mississippi State Board of Education approved the distribution of $14.1 million. Education officials are optimistic. State Superintendent of Education Carrie Wright says MDE has instituted new procedures for the grant application and awarding process to prevent errors that occurred in 2016. The 21st Century grants support community learning centers that provide academic, artistic, and cultural enrichment opportunities for students, particularly those who attend high-poverty, low-performing schools. Recipients must first go through a rigorous application process. Quentin Ransberg is director of federal programs at MDE. He tells us each center can decide their own goals for the funding.
5: The 21st Century Community Centers Grant offers opportunities to school districts, uh, to faith-based organizations or community organizations to create community learning centers within communities. And these centers provide enrichment opportunities for children, uh, particularly those children that are in high poverty and low-performing school districts. They can provide after-school tutorial programs, enrichment opportunities, all that ultimately help students to meet Um, academic standards.
3: How many of these community learning centers are benefiting from this very large grant?
5: So currently we have 23 grantees uh, that are continuing, and the State Board of Education approved 15 additional grants on November the 9th.
3: How much money are we talking about?
5: When you look at the amount of funds uh, that are continuing, it's about $3.7 million for those 23, and then about $10 million for those new grants. So the total is about $14 million.
3: Are the learning centers required to use that money in specific ways, or do they have uh, the leeway to decide themselves what that money is needed for?
5: So there are basic guidelines that they must adhere to as far as administering the grant, but the grant avails to these districts and these organizations opportunities to be creative, to design programs that will meet the needs of their community, also to meet the needs of students. So you may have... Uh, Some grant programs that are offering tutorial programs, you may have grant programs that are offering uh, culinary arts programs, where kids not only learn a skill, but they learn measurement. As they're reading recipes, it's reiterating literacy. So there are multiple kinds of grants that offer different opportunities to students in various communities across the state.
3: Did the learning centers apply for this grant money individually?
5: Well, yes. The grant process is a competitive process. So the RFP was released and we provided technical assistance across the state around the requirements of the RFP. We received the RFPs uh, to our office and we reviewed them. And as a result of that competitive process, we are awarding these 15 grants.
3: This is over a three-year period, is that right? That's correct. Do the learning centers have to meet certain benchmarks each year?
5: Yes. So they have the latitude to establish their goals. And so once they establish those goals, we hold them to be accountable for reaching those goals. So not only do we go out and monitor for compliance, but we're monitoring for performance. And so if we're able to see that that students are growing and gains are being made, along with those grants being compliant with those federal requirements, then they will be continued.
3: Do the grants represent the entire state geographically?
5: I know that we have grants as far north as Corinth, and we have grants as far south as um, the coast. We do have grants in you know, the Delta um, to give you an idea of how we're covering the state.
3: Is there emphasis placed on or preference placed on learning centers that are economically challenged, you know, poorer areas?
5: As a part of the, the application process, we do have um areas that we need to do a better job of providing support for students in. For example, um English learners or um we wanted to encourage those areas that didn't have those community centers. We wanted to encourage them to apply as well. Uh, middle schools, high schools, those are tough areas to to offer after school or summer programs. So as a part of the criteria With the RFP, if communities or organizations or school districts decided to serve those populations, once they met the cut score to establish this is a good program, then we gave them priority points for establishing grants in those underserved areas or to these specific populations of students.
3: Quentin Ransberg is the executive director of the Office of Federal Programs for the Mississippi Department of Education. Quentin, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, ma'am. Coming up, it's a right place, right time kind of life for an inseparable Mississippi couple. A conversation from the StoryCorps mobile tour is next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Sophie and Paul Wolf live in Jackson's historic Fondren district and publish a magazine there. After a romance that came out of the blue, the two married and settled down into the neighborhood they love to share its story with the world. For them, it's about a relationship that fits perfectly with the place they call home, as they told the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi.
6: We've had a good time since then. I think one of the most interesting thing about our relationship is that we work together. We work on the magazine together. And it's an interesting dynamic because the topic is our neighborhood that we live in, which makes for an interesting work life friendship dynamic. Because if someone doesn't like us or uh, no one doesn't, yeah, I don't feel like anyone has a beef with us, but if maybe someone is upset about something that's going on in the neighborhood and it's something maybe you reported about it affects us personally
7: it's our friend group yeah and me being the publisher of find it in founder magazine and you being the editor we we work together but we also live and play and shop and do everything else in the same neighborhood that we talk about every single day right they say don't take your work home with you
6: but that's, <laughs> we live in our work.
7: We live in our work and our work lives in our house and in our personal lives. And we kind of can't separate the two.
6: Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic to, we we live in probably one of the most passionate neighborhoods with really passionate neighbors. Yeah. That um, if something is not right or something feels off, we have a very, um, local centered community. And, um, if something tries to change that, they're really quick to, to jump in and and say, we need to talk about this. There needs to be community dialogue going on. And, and that sometimes can put us in a weird position because sometimes people want to shoot the messenger, which is really what you are in a lot of ways.
7: The messenger. Because I handle the daily aspect of what we do with with the magazine. And we have the website, com. And so for us to separate our personal and our work lives is impossible. And we do have a neighborhood that is passionate. But we have a neighborhood that is open and diverse. And at the same time, it's still really... It's a very small town. And so very much. we have those slow Southern ways of life in so many ways, but we just happen to be in a place that is progressive and open-minded, which we love. I mean, I think that's one of the things that really connected us is your passions and your views on the world and society and justice and things were mine. And I had never really found anyone that felt the same way about those subjects that I did. Mm -hmm. And so that was another reason that I finally said, well, what if I miss out on a really good opportunity? And so far so good.
6: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you could also kind of say that about the magazine because you, you could not have done what you do now if you had started a year sooner. And if you had been doing it a year Later, someone else would have already been doing it. We say that a lot, that you were at the right place at the right time to do what you're doing now. Because this neighborhood has grown so much, and it's its really kind of the it spot for the city.
7: It is. And I guess that's the theme of our little conversation here, right place, right time. I mean, imagine if you had gone to the seminary two weeks earlier, you had made the decision not to. Right. And so I never would have met you.
6: Mm -hmm.
7: And had you not been working in the job that you were in, you probably would not have run across me either.
6: No, I had only ever talked to you on Twitter before.
7: Right
1: place, right time. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Charitable groups and shelters across the state are gearing up to support Mississippians in need during the holiday season. One organization, the Salvation Army, has started its annual fundraiser campaign about 10 days early this year. The Red Kettle campaign usually begins during this week of Thanksgiving, but leaders say they hope to meet the $500,000 goal they missed by just $2,000 last year. The Salvation Army uses the money to fund a host of services, including a shelter, food electric bill assistance, a children's after-school program, and helping single mothers obtain their GED and life skills. Jennifer Stanley is Director of Development with the Salvation Army of Jackson. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier funds collected support year-round programming.
0: We are among the community. Everywhere you turn, you probably see the kettles right now. I'm at the Kroger's, Bass Pro Shop. Walmart will be right after Thanksgiving in the Sam's locations. But we are out there truly trying to bring in um, money and funds to be able to fund the programs that we provide here at the Salvation Army 365 days a year.
8: Thanksgiving is upon us, and uh, you usually have a dinner. Is that correct?
0: Well, we'd have a lunch. Uh, we will start feeding and serving um, the homeless population, our neighbors, um, some of our elderly residents, and nursing homes around 830 on Thursday morning. And we're looking for volunteers to come out and help us uh, take these meals out to them and really do, um, be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ.
8: And when you ask for donations for Thanksgiving, uh-huh. so many dollars will feed a number of people?
0: Yes, that's correct. You can send in $20, $25 for Thanksgiving and just make a memo, in the memo of your check, just put Thanksgiving meal on there, and that will help serve a family uh, for that day, uh, a box lunch.
8: When you talk about the kettles, how do you get people to do it? Do they get paid and how does that work? How many hours are they out?
0: Um, they're actually out there from 10 a.m. Uh, to 8 p.m. and we have over 69 locations, but we really need volunteers because if we don't have volunteers, we do have to pay someone to stand out there. And uh, But you could get a group of 10 friends that could cover a full day, um, two people a time in, in two-hour shifts, and just really fun. And you can Compete. We have a um, church that did it this past weekend, and they were competing was against small groups. So I think it was um, you know a small group of about five, and then the next small group came on, and they had ten people in theirs, so and they were competing hour, you know, in two-hour shifts of who could raise the most money. And I was just looking at their totals, and that kind of stuff. The volunteers really bring in the money for the Salvation Army, and we've been ringing since November 10th, and we're already ahead of what we did last year. We're already at sixty-three thousand and 177. And last year at this time, um, we were $3,000 down. So we're trending pretty good right now. And it's due to volunteers and them really putting their heart behind it and knowing what they're out there ringing for.
8: And if someone wants to be a volunteer, how do they go about uh, getting in touch with you?
0: They could uh, call the Salvation Army at six zero one nine eight two four eight eight one and ask to speak with Taylor. She is our volunteer coordinator, and she would uh, get them on the schedule, and they could choose what location they would like to ring out or what's closest for their group for them to be at. And it's just really a fun day of giving back with the people that you love most.
8: Unfortunately, in this time, we also have the threat of theft and uh, people taking advantage. Are there any particular things that you do to protect uh, volunteers and the money from being stolen or misappropriated?
0: Uh, We have uh, very great security measures on the kettles. I think everybody in the public is very aware of the kettles and that they're out every year and they really belong to the Salvation Army, but they are locked down. There are cameras on the kettles and anytime that we have ever had someone steal, which is a very, very small occasion, um, we make sure that um, the right steps are taken to make sure those people are accountable for what has happened. But um, we have been very fortunate. God is very good to us during this time of the year and year round, but um, especially during this time of the year, uh, we, we just haven't had those
8: issues. Thank you again, and you have a wonderful Thanksgiving.
0: You too. Thank you. Stay
3: tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10 o'clock, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.